Hello, everybody. Welcome to the weekly live stream. My name is Ryan Pauly. And I, tonight, I hope to challenge you to give you some information to discuss important topics so that you can live out your call as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That is what God has called us to be, and I pray that that is what we can grow deeper in each and every single day. And tonight, we're going to do it a little bit different. Normally, I kind of grab an apologetic issue, a worldview issue, something specific that I'm kind of looking at and dive into that, whereas tonight, we're actually going to be looking into a biblical book of the Bible. We're going to be discussing the book of Nahum. And the reason for this is, if you're like me, you probably first think, uh, what's this book about? <laughs> this is not one that we normally go to right off the bat. This is not one that we quote frequently. And it's not one maybe that we know a lot about. Right, And if you think about like how many movies, how many TV shows can we name, and I could give you the plot line to it, and I could tell you what's going on in that movie, versus you mentioned Minor Prophets or you mentioned Books of the Bible, only 66, and maybe I would struggle, and maybe you would struggle as well. And so hopefully we take this time and dive into a book that maybe we don't spend a whole lot of time in, in the book of Nahum, look at the overall history of the book, look at the theme, see how the chapters are broken down. There's only three chapters. It shouldn't be too hard. And then dive into some important theological issues and topics. And as you see in the, in the, in the title, discussing lessons on revenge and vengeance and then justice and punishing the guilty. And, and I think there's so much apologetic and theological significance to this that I want to dive into. And so without wasting too much of our time, I'm going to jump right in again. If you got questions, I'll try to get those during we, during this discussion, but if not, definitely at the end, if you have those, so definitely send those in. So as we jump into this, uh, understanding of trying to look at the book of Nahum, right? We might ask, well, what the heck is going on? Where, where, you know, what, what's happening at this time? So let me give you really quick, just a, a brief little kind of purpose of the book, looking at the history of when it was written, and then we're going to dive into the chapters and start looking at some of the themes. And so let me pull this up right here. There it is. All right. So the purpose of Nahum is to announce God's, God's plan to destroy Nineveh, which would console Judah concerning her vicious enemy and remind her of God's sovereignty over the, na the nations. Right. And so you might... First, if you're not too familiar with these books, you go, wait, hold on. God's plan to destroy Nineveh. How does this relate to Jonah? Well, I have a little timeline for us right here. So in around 760 BC, Jonah goes to Nineveh, right? So that's where the Ninevites are just totally evil. And this is the story that we learn in all of our Sunday school classes where, you know, Jonah's on his way and he's trying to run from God. He's on the ship. They throw him overboard. He's eaten by the great fish. He eventually goes to the Ninevites. And if you remember the rest of the story rather than just kind of stopping and leaving off where we do in Sunday school, where they, hey, Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. He went to Ninevites and they repented, right? And so they turn and this is where the story ends. But maybe remember that makes Jonah quite upset, right? He did not want God to forgive them. He knew that God was a loving and forgiving God. He knew that if this was preached to the Ninevites, that they would repent and Jonah was not actually too happy about that. So that's what happens back in about 760 BC. Now you fast forward to about 722, that's when the fall of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, that falls. The Assyrians come in, wipe out the northern kingdom. And uh, that is where uh, Nineveh is. And it's about 612 now that then Nineveh falls. And this is the 
what is talked about in the book of Nahum, right? As, as we go back right here to our purpose, where God is announcing his plan to destroy Nineveh. And this happens in 612. And then to kind of finish off this little timeline, we see that in 586, not too long after, that's when Babylon uh, comes in and wipes out Judah, the southern kingdom. And that is when Israel is taken captive into the Babylonian captivity. And so maybe this timeline helps out a little bit to see it was about 150 or so years earlier that Jonah goes to Nineveh, preaches to them, they repent turn to God, God forgives them and saves the city. And about 150 years later, they're already back in their wickedness, which we'll see here in a moment. And this is when God says, now here comes your destruction. And we're going to see that here in the book of Nahum. Now, again, to give you a little chart of the kings of Israel, if this helps you, if we're not a great understanding there on the left side, you see that the, the, the northern kingdom, the major kings of the northern kingdom. On the other side, you see Judah. That's the southern kingdom. There's the major kings. And uh, after 722 is uh, when they think the book of Nahum was written. So during the reign of Josiah, you see right there below the line, below Manasseh, uh, above Jehoiakim. So Josiah was a great king. He was a reformer. He did awesome stuff in Judah. And so they think that this is around the time when the book of Nahum was written. So kind of getting into the outline, only three chapters as we talked about. And the first one we see here is in chapter one, Nineveh's destruction is being decreed. So if we come over here to our scripture, oh, that's chapter two. Let's roll back up here to chapter one. We're going to read just a little bit of this to get an understanding and a sense of what is going on here in the book. So here in our first few verses, we see chapter one, verse one, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. And the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord, notice this, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. Then we end there in verse 8. So we see here in our first chapter of Nahum, God shows up very quickly discussing, look, I am a jealous, I am avenging, I am great in power, but I by all means will not clear the guilty as we see there in verse three. He then goes on and rebukes these things, but then comes back in this kind of weird way, which we'll discuss here in a bit and says, but the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, right? Giving hope to the people of Judah. It kind of goes on in and uh, in chapter one, in you know verse fourteen, the Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. 
Behold the mountains, the feet of him who brings the good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feet, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Right, so we see this declaration promise as we discussed right here in chapter one. Nineveh's destruction is decreed. God is saying, look, this is going to happen. I am going to destroy Nineveh. I will make your grave. You are vile. You will utterly be cut off. Now, at this point, people may ask, well, hold on, man. I don't, this is what I don't understand about the Old Testament is this God is just constantly, you know, just so much a mean bully, right? We have this genocide and judgment and all this kind of stuff in the Old Testament. And I've done a few other shows on that, and I haven't linked to them below, but I, I definitely will. Uh, but this is not what we have, right? It's, this is not genocide. This is not just God going in and wiping out people for whatever reason. He is, this is judgment, Right, he has given them plenty of time. Right, he's already reached to them once, especially here in Nineveh. He's reached them once, 150 or so years earlier, and they repent. They turn to him. Then they forget that they go back into their wickedness. He says, "You are vile. This is why you are going to be cut off." So God is not just upset and just taking it out on a single people group. We also see that because. God does the same thing against Israel. They're about to go into captivity. They're about to be destroyed by Babylon. The northern kingdom is about to, is, has fallen. And so this is not just saving God's people and taking out everyone else. God is saying, look, you live by me and I will reward you. I will forgive you. Go against me and punishment will come. That's what we have to be so careful of. And we have to recognize about the judgment that takes place in the Old Testament. Now, moving along to chapter two, we see now Nineveh's destruction is being depicted. So if we look over in this section, we see, I mean, you can kind of read this as yourself. I'm not going to go through everything, but we see this destruction just played out where it says the shields of his mighty men is red. His soldiers are clothed in scarlet there in verse three. The chariots come with flashing metal on the day he musters them. The cypress spears are brandished. We see down in verse six, the, the river gates are opened. The palace melts away. Its mistress is stripped. She is carried off. Her slave girls lamenting, moaning like doves and beating their breasts. We go down into you know verse nine, plunder the silver, plunder the gold. There is no end of the treasure or the wealth of all precious things. Desolate, desolation and ruin, hearts melt and knees tremble. Anguish is in the loins. All faces grow pale. Right, so here is now in chapter two, this destruction actually being carried out, right? It's, it's Nineveh's destruction is now depicted. Here are the things that are going to be taking place with Nineveh. And then finally, kind of wrapping up this brief little overview of the book of Nahum before we get into the theological topics is now the cause. Why is God doing this? Right? I talked about its judgment for wickedness. What is actually happening? Well, here in chapter three, we see the cause of Nineveh's destruction is described. So let's jump back over here to our scripture and look at this. Verse three, sorry, chapter three, verse one, woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. The crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horses and bounding chariots, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. Then the Lord says, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will make the nations look at your nakedness, a kingdom at your shame. I mean, just go back and, and look at that. 
Look at the wickedness. Now, one question that people often ask is, if God is good, why doesn't he stop evil? Well, here's an example of him stopping evil. Are we happy about it? Are we saying, wow, God is good? Look what he did. He stopped this evil. It's a bloody city, lies, plunder, the prey that they are inflicting, right? That this city had just turned to cruelty and idolatry. They were being so cruel to the people that you can continue to see as you look through this chapter. Verse 7, right? And all who look at you will shrink from you and say, wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? Where shall where shall I seek comforters for you? The people are going to see what is going on here. Finally, kind of in verse 19 to wrap it up, it says, there is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. Right, This evil of the Ninevites had come upon everyone. And God's saying, look, enough. I'm tired of it. I'm going to put an end to this. And there's where we see kind of this understanding here of these three chapters of, of, of Nahum. Hopefully that helps you in this, you know, in looking at this, right? So we see um, short book, the goal is to, the, the purpose is to point to the destruction of Nineveh. And this is going to bring hope to Judah and then also show God's sovereignty over his people. So now I want to look at some of the more important theological themes. And to do that, we're going to jump back up here into chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on this. Let me pull it up here for us a little bit. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. What, uh, his way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are a dust of his feet. You know, when I, when I think about um, this idea that God is jealous and avenging, right? I often think, and I, and I shared this before of, of the movie, um, it wasn't Black Panther, it was, uh, oh my goodness, I'm just blanking on it. It's Captain, uh, it's Civil War. It's the Avengers Civil War movie, Captain America Civil War, right? Where, where the bad guy has his family killed by the Avengers. And so he's trying to get vengeance and seek revenge on them. And then you have the, the uh, so he goes and kills Black Panther's dad. So now Black Panther wants him dead and everyone is just trying to kill each other. Now the Avengers are against each other and you have this civil war. And there's a point where Black Panther walks up to the bad guy and says, look, vengeance has consumed you. I'm done letting it consume me. And the bad guy responds and he says, but what about, tell, the, tell that to those who are dead. And this is where I think there's such a huge biblical theme of that we want revenge. We want justice. In fact, it, it was a student I've had in the past where he, he talked about this idea that what caused him to start thinking about God was this idea that we desire justice. And that's often not realized. That's often not seen in this life. It's often not seen in, in, in what we deal with, right? We, we want the good to go rewarded. We want the guilty to be punished. But sometimes in this life, the guilty get rewarded and the good get punished, right? We, get caught, we, we don't do anything and we get in trouble and we get upset about that. That makes us so furious. 
And I think to me, this is where C.S. Lewis's argument comes in, his argument from desire. He says, look, there are things that we have desires for, and for each of those desires, there's something in this world that satisfies that desire. But there are some desires that we have, like justice, that is not satisfied in, in this life. And maybe that means that we're actually created for another life, where this actually does get satisfied. And that's the promise that God does give us, is that he will pursue perfect justice. The universe that we live in can't produce that. It doesn't produce that. It doesn't satisfy this desire that we have built into us. But I think what makes sense of that is a God who is justice. He is just. He, 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 he acts out in perfect justice. And he's created us in his image to desire that which is good. We desire justice. Sometimes that's hard for us because that, that consumes us. But hopefully this idea that, that God, as it says here, God is a jealous and avenging God. He is going to get vengeance. And especially in verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger, great in power. And as it says right here, see this. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. So I want to share a, a real world story with you. Uh, this story actually is written here in this book, Desperate Hope. Uh, this is a story uh, that's fascinating. And if you check in the description below, I actually have a great opportunity to get these books. And so if you actually give a, a small donation, five bucks into the Patreon account, you can click that link. I'll send you out a signed copy of this book. The reason why I can get signed copies is this book is written by my mom. So I'm a little bit biased. But this story is absolutely crazy. So to give a little bit of, of a background of the, for this story, my mom is home alone. I'm young. This happened about 20 years ago. I'm at school. And a guy comes up to the house when my mom is getting home. He ends up in the house with my mom because he says, hey, I had some Christian tapes. Uh, this was you know, 20 years ago and there's still tapes. And I wanted to give them back to you and, and get some more from you. And he acted like he was wanting to know about Christianity. When my mom reached up to the counter to grab a new cassette tape for him to give to him with some Christian music, he came up behind her, held a knife to her neck and whispered in her and said, you're going to come upstairs with me and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And he was going to plan to do grave violence to my mom, Rose. And she turns around and then he points the knife at her stomach and kind of repeats the same thing. And it was at that moment she began to pray and she says, God, I pray that you bind the power of Satan in this man. I pray that you fill him with the love of God, that you let him know that you love him, that you don't want him to destroy his life doing this thing. She said a little bit more, but at that time, she prayed for protection over herself as well. At that time, he froze and she goes, well, it seems like now's my time to get away. So she ducks under his arm, begins to make her escape. He then takes chase, pursues her to the front door. She gets the door open. And by the grace of God, you can read the story in the book. The door is blown open. She winds up outside. She's sitting outside and he comes down and sits next to her. She figured as long as I'm outside, I'm safe. So she's not really as worried anymore. He sits down next to her. He begins to cry. And he goes, oh my goodness, I can't believe I almost destroyed my life doing this thing. I, I need help. And, you know, I, I think he said something like, I need to save her. And she goes, well, you can read about him. He's in the book of John. And my mom prays for him. He leaves. Now he ends up getting arrested. He goes to prison. Crazy story. 
I highly suggest it. I highly recommend it. But in this section, I want to read to you about now how do we deal with, right? This is this book is, is kind of subtitled, it is subtitled, An Unusual Journey to Freedom from Addiction and Victimhood. His place of addiction, her place of being this victim. How did she overcome him? How, how could she overcome this problem of forgiveness? And, and what would she think about him for the rest of her life? Would this consume her? Would she be trying to get revenge? I want to read a short section from this book for you of how my mom dealt with this. And I think this applies so much to this issue of vengeance that so much of us deal with where we want to get even, we want to get payback. And I think this helps us see, here's why maybe we shouldn't. She writes this, as I worked through unpredictable emotions and wrestled with new realities, I started to realize what forgiveness did mean. It meant I was choosing to release Matt from any debt to me. I didn't have to use up valuable energy and time to make sure he was paid his dues and received his just penalty. I didn't have to be consumed with his punishment, tied up with desire for revenge, fretful that the authorities would handle things poorly, anxious that he would get let off the hook, or worried that he wouldn't that he would work the system. Let me stop there. How much does that happen to so many of us that we're worried they're not going to get what they deserve? We want justice. And if someone else takes care of it, then maybe they're going to get off easy. If I take care of it, at least I can try to act out and give them what they deserve. I think that's true of so much of us, so many of us. So let me continue here. I could place all this. Here's how she could forgive. I could place all of this and Matt himself into the hands of God, a God who is a God of justice, who would do what is right. Didn't the Bible confirm this when he said, do not repay evil for evil and do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If there was avenging that needed to be done, then God was very capable to take care of it. And I had to admit, being avenged by God was not something any sane person would choose. I found my own heart again filled with compassion for Matt. Deep down, I wanted him to be dealt with mercifully and continued to pray that God would intervene in his life. See, I think this is what happens when we understand this idea that God is the one that gets revenge, that God is a God of perfect justice, and that God is by all means not going to clear the guilty. Guilty will be punished. But that doesn't mean then that we just sit back and we go, yes, God is going to do it. And we just are sitting there waiting for God to get their revenge. We go, see, you got it, right? That's not the love that we have. What I think this is calling us to is says, look, God is going to take care of this. Give that to him and go back to what God has called us to do, to love one another, to love God and to love others as we love ourselves. That is where forgiveness takes place. If we are still inside of us going, all right, I'm not going to get revenge of God is, and we still have that bitterness, then it hasn't gone away. Then we truly haven't forgiven that person. Forgiveness is allowing God to take control. And now, why can we forgive? Well, Scripture also says we forgive because Christ first forgave us. When we recognize that we are on level footing before the cross, that I am guilty, that this person is also guilty. Christ has forgiven me. Christ will forgive him. I should forgive him. Let God take care of it. 
I think this is this huge theme that we see here in the book of Nahum. Look, guys, revenge, it takes up energy. It hurts us. It consumes us. Oftentimes, the other person is off there living, doing whatever they want to do, and they are not even thinking about us, yet we are consumed and controlled by the thoughts that we have about them. It consumes us. It hurts us. But it's not our job to punish. And I think that this also points to the hope that we have in Jesus. I mean, just think about this. Going back here to, to verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger, great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. That's as much of a condemnation against the person as it is me. He is not going to clear the guilty. How many times in this world do we, do we hear kind of these apologetic arguments where I'm a good person? Why doesn't God let good, you know, why does God send good people to hell? He doesn't. Scripture is clear. No one is good but God. That sometimes is hard to hear. But look, if I'm a good person, the death of Jesus was a waste of time. And so how do we, how do we deal with this? We go, look, I'm guilty. I'm not a good person. And God is not going to let the guilty go unpunished. He's not going to clear the guilty. Oh my goodness, how much more do I need Jesus Christ in this moment? Right? This is huge. And so it's it kind of these, these examples that we see here in the book of Nahum that help make sense of what we see in the Old Testament, of God killing in the Old Testament. It's because he is not let, going to let the guilty go free. And that's something that consumes us. Oftentimes we don't want that to happen. And God says, that's not going to happen. And even the evil and the wickedness that is taking place when, right now, God has promised one day that will end. And it's those who are in relationship with him that will go free. This is so important for us to recognize as we look here in the book of Nahum. This argument for God based on justice, this desire that is built into us, as well as understanding a proper view of forgiveness, of how we can forgive, of how we can then come back to a place where we truly love the people that have offended us. Because that person needs the message of Jesus Christ just as we did, if you're a believer, just as much as I did. And that should be our goal. That is our goal as, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as people that go throughout all the nations making disciples. That is what our calling is as believers. And if we're holding grudges against people, if we just want to seek revenge and get them back for what they've done, then how are we making disciples? How are we representatives of Christ? Right? Think about it, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. An ambassador is a representative. That Christ should be seen through us. And if Christ came to forgive and we're not, how are we ambassadors of him? That hopefully challenges us. And so we finish up here looking at this idea. Even the God, the avenging God, the wrathful God, showing his vengeance, not clearing the guilty. Look at verse seven. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. This is where, as we see there in the book of Nahum, that we hopefully have that trust in God's sovereignty, that we come back and we go, oh my goodness, God, you are sovereign. You are in control. Let me hand this over to you. Let me get this weight off my shoulders and let me just do what you have called me to do. Let me be in that relationship with you because when these struggles come, 
when the difficulties come, when this is consuming me, you are good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And that is what hope we have to go back to in the goodness of God. So hopefully this brief overview has been an encouragement to you as maybe you have understood a little bit more about the book of Nahum, the flow of the thought, the outline, as well as some of these important theological understandings of God getting justice. He is a just God. That is what makes him good. But he's also loving in that he provides a way out for all people that if you repent, he will forgive you. But if you do not, then you have to be punished because he's not going to let the punishment go unpunished, the evil go unpunished. If he did, he's not good. And we recognize that. A judge who doesn't punish is not a good judge. We saw God clear the Ninevites with Jonah, and then we saw him punish them because they did not repent of their wickedness. So hopefully this helps us then turn to Jesus, repent of our sins, recognize our own guilt, and then allowing us to then better forgive others as we know God is in control. I don't need to hold that revenge against them. I just seek God and pursue him and he forgives and he has got this covered. Because if anyone is going to get justice, perfect justice, and not get off the hook, God is going to get that, right? Absolutely. How could I possibly think that I could do a better job judging and avenging than God can? Who knows all things. Uh, definitely check out uh, the social media accounts, subscribe, follow, check out all the things that I'm doing and the things that uh, are just happening here with the ministry. With that, I'll be signing off. Have an awesome weekend. Have a blessed rest of your night. You guys are awesome. Love God. Think deeply. Thank you guys all so much for watching.